Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. safe, warm, enjoyable evening. It's a real pleasure to have you with us here tonight for this journey through some of the darkest, scariest, and most bizarre stories you've ever heard. As I just mentioned, I am Derek Hayes, podcast host, television presenter, researcher, filmmaker, and collector of stories. And my program here is called Monsters Among Us Podcast. And if this is your first time tuning in, then you're in for one hell of a night. As for those of you returning, you're going to have a hell of a night too. Because I have quite a collection of stories slated for this evening, including an accidental deep dive that is equal parts confusing and chilling. So sit back, relax, light a candle, dim the lights, and draw the shades and prepare yourself for tonight's virtual journey, beginning with Brandon's entry out of Pennsylvania. Hi, big fan of the podcast. My name is Brandon from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which is about 30 minutes north of the Pittsburgh area. And this story took place about a month ago actually in Ohio. My girlfriend and I went to a Fall Out Boy concert in Cuyahoga Falls, um, about an hour and a half away from home. And the concert ended late, about 11 o'clock at night, but we didn't leave until 12.30 or so, which puts the sighting of this phenomenon at roughly 1 a.m. We were driving down this rural road still in Ohio, and there were no cars around, really, or even many houses. It was almost middle of nowhere, and we were driving downhill on this road, and as we came up to the top of another hill, I saw in my headlights and out the corner of, like, the windshield in my passenger window, this really tall black figure, probably about seven eight feet tall and it's 
limbs were just really disproportionate for its body, like it had extra long arms and extra long legs, and it just started sprinting kind of at an angle, going diagonally across this open field back towards this tree line at the end of the field. And it was really fast. I mean, we were probably driving 35, 40 miles an hour down this road. And it seemed to be running at least at that same speed, if not faster. I only saw it for about that one second, but it just gave me this feeling, you know, like that I saw something that's not meant to be, that it's just totally out of the ordinary. And I asked my girlfriend if she saw it, and she told me that she hadn't seen it and asked what it was, and I explained everything to her. And we're still not entirely sure what we saw. We do have some theories about it, though. Um, At first, I thought maybe Skinwalker, but then I realized that they're not really native to that area of Ohio. They're more of a Navajo-type being. And after doing a little digging into, you know, more cryptids and creatures, and even posting my story on Reddit, a lot of responses there seem to point at it being possibly some kind of Sasquatch being, which I know Ohio does have its own version of the Sasquatch, known as the Grassman. And it's apparently been reported along every county in Ohio, especially in Cuyahoga. That seems to be one of its main residences is in Cuyahoga Falls. That was it. Like I said, it was tall and dark, looked humanoid in shape, but really off in proportions and was running at a way that no human would be able to run. You know, unless this thing was something supernatural. But anyway, that's my brief little um, encounter with something strange, potentially a Sasquatch. I'd love to hear what other people think it is. And thank you. Thank you, Brandon. I'll tell you what. This is a subject I know a little bit about. Well, one aspect of it at least. To begin with, I agree, Brandon. This does not sound like a skinwalker story to me, for whatever reason. Probably geographical. Though, it is worth noting that we've received several experiences in the past that claim that the skinwalkers they encountered were doing the exact same thing Brandon's mystery monster was. Running at inhuman speeds alongside a moving vehicle. But for me, somehow Skinwalker just doesn't seem to fit the vibe here. So, among the plethora of other explanations, is a creature that Brandon spoke of, the Buckeye State's Bigfoot. The Ohio Grassman. It had long... Uh, flowing hair around its shoulders. And something came up over the ridge, black, broad shoulders. It was a a massive uh, individual. It did walk under a limb that uh, later on we measured at 10 feet high. It's typically described as human-like because of the fact that it's walking upright on two legs. You know, he's shaped like a linebacker with a broad shoulders, broad back. 
no neck, small head, you know, up into the neck area. Very large muscular arms, very long arms. Most eyewitnesses describe the grass man as seven to eight feet tall, walking upright with broad shoulders and black to brownish hair. The creature is also said to have a very muscular build with large hands and feet. Now that clip courtesy of the Monster Quest episode on the subject. And as Brandon mentioned, the creature has been witnessed all over the state. Only about 20 of the state's 88 counties have yet to register a report on the BFRO website, the most comprehensive collection of Bigfoot sightings that I know of. Places like Cuyahoga Valley National Park, the counties of Portage, Stark, Columbiana, Coshocton, and a place that's really seemed to rise in popularity among squatchers lately. Salt Fork State Park. Coincidentally, my local lake growing up. Now you see, I may know a little bit about this subject because I grew up there, practically inside what is known as the Sasquatch Triangle. In fact, I was born a mere five miles from Salt Fork itself. And as I said, Bigfoot is growing in popularity in that area, both as a cultural figure and in the number of sightings and reports taken from the park and the surrounding terrain. In fact, they still hold a Bigfoot conference there at the park every year. A conference that I've still somehow yet to be asked to speak at. So, Bigfoot is big business back home. And there are legends strewn across the state. The Beast of Akron. The Cedar Bog Monster. The Fairhaven Monster. The Galapagos Gorilla. Old Orange Eyes. The Minerva Monster. And of course, the Ohio Grassman. Now, the Grassman seems to encompass all of these lesser monsters. And I think it's more likely they're all one in the same. If this creature really exists. And I suppose you're wondering about that name. I myself first heard the term back in the late 90s, I think. Back then, I'd wondered myself. But thanks to the marvels of the internet, I learned somewhere in the mid-aughts that they were named after the grass and briar huts the creature supposedly made. Well, it wasn't until recently that I heard another origin story for the name that, to me, makes much more sense. The Ohio Grassman. So a note on that name. The Ohio Grassman, there's some misinformation out there about it, uh, that it was kind of a Native American tradition that was translated into the Ohio Grassman. But from what the Bigfoot researchers that I talk to and work with have found, we can narrow it down to a uh, an article that appeared early in the 20th century in the Akron Beacon Journal. There were these large animals that were spotted and they found these sort of they found these sort of nests made out of tall grass and the term grass man was kind of coined from that. There's a story that outside or behind the uh, I think it was the DuPont a uh, DuPont factory there was kind of a field between a railroad bed and the factory and uh, people were seeing these uh, they called them hobos 
Uh, but when it was investigated, you know, if it were a person, it would have to be an eight foot tall person to be noticed above all of the grass. And that's kind of one of the areas where that term grass man came from. So, and it's a confusing term because there's, you, you hear the Ohio grass man, you kind of picture this green, you know, swamp thing looking animal when in fact, it's, you know, they refers to something like the Sasquatch. Now that clip, believe it or not, is courtesy of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and listener John Hickenbottom. So maybe it was the grass huts, or maybe it was the workers at the DuPont plant. Who's to say, really? But regardless, the stories seem to persist. So now that we have the history of the beast behind us, let's examine Brandon's sighting just a little bit further. I traced his route home from Cuyahoga Falls, and I believe he was in Columbiana County at the time of his sighting. One of the counties on the list I just rattled off, and the county with the most sightings in the entire state. And believe it or not, that's the same location that Matt Moneymaker recorded the infamous Ohio Howls back in 1994. These Ohio Howls. I did a couple of noise filters on that sample and that somehow just makes the whole thing creepier now if you would like to lay eyes on the beast of the Buckeye State you can by way of video a researcher from my neck of the woods named Don Keating accidentally found what he believes is the grass man just south of the location of Brandon's sighting in Coshocton County now I've linked to that video, so go take a look for yourself and tell me the creature isn't doing exactly the same thing described by Brandon and the boys up at the DuPont plant running through the grass. Thank you again, Brandon, for the entry and for giving me the opportunity to dive in to my hometown monster. Now I'll be frank. I don't know anyone that's ever seen the grass man, but a longtime family friend once shared that while he was raccoon hunting somewhere in Guernsey or Noble County, he heard a massive creature roaring on the other side of some brush that put his hair on end and sent him and his hounds packing. He never saw what made the sounds. Now, I've known this guy for most of my life, and I've never known him to be scared of anything. But it sounds like he sure was that night. Now folks, if you have a tale to tell, a true tale, call our hotline at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-N-I-G-H-T. Don't forget to send in those hometown legend calls and those calls from government workers for the government worker special. 
Again, that's 888-608-NIGHT. Or email me a file at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. So this next one is short, sweet, and nightmarish. Marla from Kentucky. Welcome to the program. Hi, my name is Marla, and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if anyone's ever called about maybe some weird things happen with dolls. I remember this story. I was just two years old when I can't believe I remember it. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time. My mother was wrestling, and we had a babysitter. Me and my sister did. We were watching some kind of movie, uh, the horror movie. Come to find out, it's called The Master 2. And it was time for me to go to bed. Well, it was dark, and normally I sleep, me and my sister have two identical beds. Normally I'd sleep on the right, she'd sleep on the left. I slept in her bed. And next thing I know, I'm looking over. I have a Raggedy Ann doll. And somehow I looked over, and she rolls out on her own. And I run out to the room freaked out and I don't think anyone's ever believed me since then still have the doll because I just I can't get rid of it that's just something my mom gave me yeah if anybody has a similar story like this I would love to hear it maybe I'm not the only one that's probably had crazy doll stories or raggedy Ann looking doll so thank you for taking my call have a good night thanks Marla you know your story gives off Robert the doll vibes Not the kind of thing you want running around your home. I do wonder, though. She mentioned she was watching the 1989 horror film, Puppet Master, which is a campy movie about these killer puppets that come to life and kill a number of folk. Well, is it possible that she was influenced by that film and somehow imagined her doll coming to life? That's certainly something worth thinking about. But regardless of the cause, the experience, real or imagined, sounds downright terrifying. So if creepy dolls are your bag, I've linked to a list of the six most haunted dolls in the show notes. A little anecdotal credibility to lend credence to Marla's claims. Thank you again, Marla, for the phone call. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Relationships take work. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But in my experience, the best relationships come out of both people putting in the effort to communicate and listen. Therapy can be a safe place for you to work through challenges in your relationships, whether they're with friends, your significant other, or family. It helps to have a neutral third party to help talk it through. And if you put in the work, your relationship can come out of conflicts feeling stronger and more secure. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, which makes it convenient, flexible, and affordable. Just fill out a quick questionnaire to be matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate 
whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now, back to that thing floating above the truck. Hey. Now, if Bigfoot and haunted dolls aren't enough to spook you, perhaps death itself will be. Please join me in welcoming Lincoln from Australia. Hi Derek, my name's Lincoln, I'm from Brisbane, Australia. My family's had a whole bunch of different weird paranormal experiences, a lot of it happening at a house that we owned at Red Hill, where my mother actually passed away. We had her in care there at the home. But this was all prior to this story that I'm about to tell you, so just to give you context. I could tell you lots of different stories, but my main story that I'm going to tell you is personal to me. So this one was when we were at a suburb called The Gap. So it was this little dark place that had a big yard, so we loved it. We loved playing there as kids outside and everything, but had a weird vibe to it. So it was my uh, single parent auntie, myself and my two cousins, a boy and a girl. I shared a room with the boy, Kurt. I was 11, he was 10 at the time, and we both shared a room with single beds. His was against the window side, mine was perpendicular to his, and opposite me was a big double width covered with floor to ceiling mirrors for doors to set the stage for it. This happened actually about maybe a couple of weeks after 9-11, so, you know, I'll let people think of that what they may. But I wake up in the middle of the night one night. It was a full moon night. The moonlight was flooding in partially into my room, and it's not like me to actually wake up in the middle of the night. I usually sleep like a rock. But I wake up and open my eyes, and I very quickly tense up and freeze in terror, I kind of went hot on the inside and cold on the outside or the other way around, like instant terror because I am looking at a tall cloaked figure around six foot tall and, and it had a hood and it was in the middle of my room between where I am in my bed and the dresser opposite with the mirrors. So it's basically the character of the Grim Reaper, only it didn't have a scythe and I'm looking at its back and I can also see its front because of the mirror reflection. I can't see a face on it. I don't know whether it had a face. I have no idea. I couldn't see hands. I couldn't see feet because, you know, it had slack on the cloak that it was wearing and it was just pure blackness where the face was, even though the room was kind of half lit up with moonlight. And I feel like it should go without saying, but I clearly didn't think that it was a person that had just randomly broken into my house, closed the door behind it, and was standing in front of the mirror. Now this thing, it didn't move at all. To this day, I don't know if it was consciously aware of me, or if it was staring at itself, or me in the mirror. 
but I'm obviously looking at the exits and I'm trying to figure out a plan. So I'm thinking that if I try to alert someone to this thing being there, as in Kurt right next to me or my auntie in the next room, this guy is right there and he's just gonna basically get me before they're gonna even figure out what's going on. So I decide I'm going to very slowly slink down into my bed and pull my covers up over my head and just chill there for a little while pretending that this thing's not real. But after a while it got really hot and I started to run out of air. So I muster up all of the courage that I have to pull the covers slowly back down so that I can see and breathe and I don't know whether it's going to be there when I look back but it is. It's still there, staring at itself, not moving, this friggin' Grim Reaper thing. And so I did what I figured any reasonable person would do, and I pulled the covers back up over my head. I made a little, um, like, oxygen tunnel with the blanket so that I could still breathe, and then I told myself that it didn't exist, it wasn't really there, and to go to sleep. And I convinced myself to go to sleep, woke up the next morning, and yeah, it was gone as if it never happened. And for a while after that, I don't think I really talked to anyone about it. Uh, maybe a week or two or something like that. And because my family had been through a lot of stuff like that, similar kind of things, paranormal things, it wasn't a shock to them, but obviously still a shock. And uh, I told many people over the years, and you know, a lot of people were very skeptical about it and didn't believe me. But um, yeah, other people were kind of like, yeah, okay, well, stranger things have happened, just not to me, so yeah. Anyway, that's my main story. But I love the podcast and I tell other people about it. So yeah, appreciate what you do, Derek. Thanks. It sounds to me like someone in that room cheated death that night. Thank you, Lincoln, for the long distance call. Lincoln's call got me thinking about something I've never thought about before. What is the science behind hiding under the covers? There has to be some sort of instinctual need being met there. Maybe cover equals safety, or something like that. It seems like every kid knows to do it. But it also seems like every kid is smart enough to know it won't help us in a real monster attack. So why does it still work? This is something I plan to circle back on, for sure. Got my wheels turning. In the meantime, big thanks, Lincoln. And thank you for calling in. And folks, speaking of Australia, the international premiere of our film Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle will be at the Science Fiction Film Festival in Melbourne, Australia on February 25th at 1 p.m. More info can be found at monstersamonguspodcast.com or by visiting BoregoTriangle.com. Now, as for everyone stateside, you can now pre-order the film before its March 5th release date. Visit those same sites to set yourself up. Or visit Apple TV, Amazon Prime, or a host of other platforms after that March 5th release date to watch the film yourself. And the rest of you international folks, I'm working on it. I promise. Now, back to the action with this captivating call from Walt in Arizona. 
Hello, Derek. This is Walt from Arizona. The story I'm telling you happened in Pennsylvania probably around 20 years ago. I first met my current wife, girlfriend back then, and we live in a very rural northwestern Pennsylvania, very wooded. The town we grew up in didn't even have a traffic light. This is an alien black cat story. My wife swore up and down, oh, there's panthers, oh, there's black cats around. I was a skeptic. I didn't believe her. I used to make fun of her. Tell her, were the panthers pink? Did she hear the theme song whenever she saw one? Until I was driving home one day and I noticed something very long, very dark, slunk by the side of the road. I slowed my van down to see what it was, and it was a very large cat. I'm not going to say it wasn't a house cat, but if it was, it was the largest house cat I have ever seen. It just stood there, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go. So I stepped on the gas, started going, it ran out, and I hit it. I don't know if I killed it or not. I slowed down, I looked at it in the mirror. I thought, nobody's going to believe me. So it was probably another five minutes to my house. This was before cell phones with cameras, so I ran to my house to grab my camera. By the time I got back, ten minutes, the game commission had loaded it up and were leaving with it. Now, on your season nine, episode four, I believe somebody said, well, why haven't anybody hit them with cars? Well, I'm here to tell you, I did hit one with a car. And they came that quick and got it. I don't know if somebody saw it and reported it. I don't know what happened here and how. Where we live, if you hit a deer, they're supposed to come get it, but it might lay there until it turns to skeleton. If you hit a bear, they'll come get the bear, but the quickest I've ever seen them do it was maybe three or four hours after the bear had been hit. But this cat was gone. By the time I got home, and back with my camera to take a picture of it. It was gone, the Pennsylvania Game Commission truck was leaving. So I'm assuming they came, got the cat, and left. Well, I really enjoy your show. Thank you. That close. We almost got the evidence we've been looking for. I will say though, it's tragic that the animal was struck. I'm hoping it survived and just took off, making the truck's appearance a coincidence. That or perhaps the officer was called to the area by another witness of that same animal that could explain how it was able to be on the scene so quickly. It was already headed that way anyway. But as Walt said, this is the first and only account I've ever heard of claiming to have hit one of these creatures with their car. And sadly, we have mountain lions that are hit on the freeways here a few times a year. So that sort of car-feline encounter does occur. So if there were a population of these alien black cats back east, you'd think that trend would continue there as well. And if what Walt is claiming is true, right there is our very first data point. Now, as always, I'm a sucker for these sort of stories. And this one is one of the most exciting that I've ever heard of. And I think it even hints a bit at a conspiracy. It's great stuff, Walt. So thank you again for sharing it.
Now next up, we hear from Marcy in Arizona. Marcy, welcome to the show. Hello, this is Marcy from Phoenix, Arizona, but this story occurred when I lived in Laramie, Wyoming. I was going to college there. This was about 2005-2006. I had decided to rent an apartment with my sister and a friend, and we ended up renting an apartment in an old converted schoolhouse. It was built in 1904, very old school, um, had a lot of history to it. That's what drew us to renting this specific apartment. The apartment was called Washington Square. We had visited and the apartment, since we were looking at a three-bedroom, was on the third floor, and it was actually part of the gymnasium. The floor itself was the old-school basketball court. It had some modern amenities, but it still had that old, creaky vibe to it. So we ended up moving in, and we all really were excited. It had a lot of room and close to school and whatnot. I had an upstairs bedroom with a window it was the most inward room of the apartment. Got everything moved in, whatnot. You know, everything seemed fine. We started to notice little things happening. Things would be moved. I often would notice the radio would come on. Again, we were all college age, busy. Everyone had a different schedule. Sometimes you'd just say, oh, the roommate must have grabbed that, whatnot. I just noticed myself so often waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I just was drawn to go downstairs, kind of check around, hearing um, kind of weird noises above just normal apartment noises. And the event that I found the most creepy that still kind of makes me think about to this day was one night I was staying in because I had a exam the next day and so I wanted to study and my roommates had went out to a party or something and they had left the apartment and I had studied, kind of gotten ready for bed, had double-checked the doors, made sure everything was turned off, and I went upstairs. And about two hours later, I had fell asleep for about an hour, I heard someone calling my name, and that's very common. Maybe a roommate forgot something, came back, was asking. So I kind of was groggy, woke up, and I kind of peeked my head out, and I noticed all the candles in the apartment were lit. And that's kind of weird because if you're going out, you know, why would you light a candle? So the the voice was pretty loud and it, it sounded just like one of my roommates. I come downstairs, no one's there. Every candle in the house is lit. I can't recall, but I think the radio might have been turned on. And again, this is like something that wouldn't happen. If someone forgot something to come back, maybe grab it, but they probably wouldn't wake a roommate because I had a very important test and I had kind of forewarn them that I wanted silence and not to come back if possible. And so, I don't know, I just had this really creepy feeling because that voice was just so close to my door. And so, kind of just was a little groggy, blew out the candles and went back to bed. Thought maybe they came in, were trying to mess with me. Come to find out, they had actually went to a different city that night and there's no possible way. Only three of us had the keys. Another weird thing, too, we were friends with some neighbors. They came up to us one day, like, checking the mail, and they said, oh, we've we've heard you playing basketball in there, playing with balls, and it sounds like quite a big, a large group of you are 
kind of, you know, playing sports in there. And that's very odd because none of us played sports. We had no basketball. Often we just would be there for a few hours, like if you're going to go to a game or something and then leave. So that's some of the stuff that happened. Thinking back now, though, there was a lot of weird things happening that we often just excused to, oh, being a drunk college kid or, you know, maybe a neighbor did that or whatnot. But looking back now, I think whatever entity was there was very curious. I never felt scared, but that last event before I moved out, The Voice, that really scared me because it felt like the entity was starting to direct things toward me. I was the only one kind of experiencing behaviors that would, would seem to be taunting in nature. And shortly after that last experience with the candles and whatnot, we moved and I just really felt it was kind of just, I don't know if something... I'm open to those experiences or whatnot, but it just really started to freak me out. The playfulness seemed to be more direct, and for now, that's kind of the sum of that story from college that after listening to the podcast, a lot of hearing other people's stories kind of gave me courage to share that story, and it, it feels good to kind of get that off my chest. But yeah, thank you so much for the podcast. I really enjoy it. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much. Bye. That's two calls in a row from Arizona, and two calls in a row that didn't take place in Arizona. The old bait and switch. But thank you, Marcy, for calling in. Have you ever gone to an empty school at night? It's creepy as hell, isn't it? Now imagine trying to live there. Haunted or not, it's an odd energy. One I'm not sure I could live with. But I suppose that's the gamble you take when you live in a converted schoolhouse. And I'm awfully curious if the next tenants had similar experiences. Now for you Arizona folks, I feel kind of bad. So I'm throwing a bone. Just the other day, I stumbled upon a clip that also details a haunted school. This time, it actually was in Arizona. Some students can't wait to leave school, but there's one presence at Chandler High that won't leave. There is a spirit at Chandler High School. The infamous Chandler High ghost roams the hallways of the English building. He's always around, and mostly on this floor. Curtis Huckstra has been a custodian at the school since 1994 and says he's had about five or six friendly encounters with the ghost. Diane Griffith, an English teacher that also works in the building, says the only time she's experienced the unexplainable was when she was a student at the school. An apparition came in, kind of paused in the middle of the auditorium, looked at us, and then went out the other side. Students used to host ghost walks around Halloween where participants would tour the halls at night, but the school's administration has since canceled the event. But that doesn't stop students from talking. Now that clip on behalf of Cronkite News on YouTube and features just one of a long list of haunted schools not only in Arizona, but in the world. And since I seem to be into lists today, I've also linked to a list of the most haunted schools in the Grand Canyon State. Go to monstersamonguspodcast.com, hit the show notes button, and take a look. It's odd energy, indeed. You know, now I'm wondering if the next season premiere episode 
shouldn't feature tales of high school janitors. Thank you again, Marcy, for sharing your entry. Well, folks, somehow we've reached tonight's closer. And I'm not embarrassed to say that this one sent me on a deep dive that I still haven't found the bottom of. So hold on to your butts for this next one. And please welcome Amy from Parts Unknown. Hey there, my name is Amy and this took place in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I went with a friend to a cemetery there in Old Salem. And Old Salem is an active community that is from the earliest settlement there in Winston-Salem. They have people there and they have bakeries and such and it's really a neat place to visit. Well, I hadn't done very much in the ghost hunting world, but I'd seen all the shows and was pretty interested to try it out. So we thought we would go one night. And she had a EMF reader. She was more into it than I was. And her daughter had been with her too. So they did have a little bit of the equipment. Along with the EMF, they had the voice recorder. So once we got there and parked and walked across this grassy piece of land to this hundreds of year old cemetery, we split up for a moment and walked through and I had the EMF reader and it didn't have the little lights. It actually had numbers on it too. So you could see how high it actually was going, not just with the rainbow lights that you see on TV. And every time I'd put the EMF reader down a little bit, it would light up. So when I met back up with her, I told her, I was like, I feel like little kids are out here playing tag. And her jaw dropped and she said, that's exactly what my little girl says. That she always thinks kids are out here playing tag when we come out here. So that was the first part of the night. And the second part of the night, we had been there quite a while and we thought we saw some shadow things, shadow people walking. And I really think she started to get more spooked out than I was. So we were going to leave. And as we were walking past the different areas with the headstones, to our left, just as quickly as four steps could be, we saw two sets of legs that were illuminating like a glow stick, like self-illuminating legs with running shorts run from one patch of grass with headstones across the little bit of a road and onto the other and vanish. Nothing more than two sets of legs in sync with each other. And my ghost hunter friend screamed to the top of her lungs and jumped on top of me. It was insane, her reaction. And I guess maybe more insane that I didn't react the same way. So I looked, I said, are you okay? And she was. So I got back out the EMF reader and said, did we just see you run across the path? And the number jumped all the way up to 15 or something, very high. And again, she had nothing more to say. And I said, but there were two of you, right? And it jumped up again. I guess it spooked her enough that we have never gone ghost hunting again. I don't know if she still goes to this day, but 
that was my first experience with seeing something pretty intense, but very cool. I'll never forget it. Thanks. Bye. And Amy actually called back a little after leaving her first recording. Hello. This is Amy again with the story from Old Salem in North Carolina. And I had not listened to the most recent episode. I was kind of listening to it and thought of my story and called in and told you the story about the legs running across the road in the cemetery. And I just listened to the man with the cabin who said he saw half of an illuminated body and it was just the legs. I'm in shock. I definitely have never heard anyone else with a story anything close to that. And the coincidence, or is it a coincidence, that right now I hear the story from him, too, right after I left you mine. Anyway, nice and spooky. Bye. Thank you. Well, Amy, even though I couldn't find the call you referenced there, I did find a number of past calls that detailed the same description that you did. Do you recall this anonymous entry from Season 8, Episode 5? We looked over, he sees what looks like shoes and the bottom of a skirt from about the 1800s or so. And by the time he looked up to see the face, there was nobody there. So he gets up, starts walking around, walks downstairs to see if he can find anybody or anything. Or Rick from Season 8, Episode 17. And then I watched as what appeared to be a pair of human legs walked past my truck. And I say human legs because there was nothing above the knees. So I'm just sitting there watching these things walk in front of my truck, maybe about 20 feet away, no more. And then they disappear into the grass on the right side of my truck. And I turned my head to follow them to see if I could like see them anymore, because I didn't really know what was going on. And sure enough, I'm parked right next to a cemetery. And most especially Kelly from season 10, episode 19. As I was driving across the bridge, I saw a little green fluorescent butt. I say fluorescent because it was glowing. I saw a little green butt run across the road. It was about a foot, two feet tall at the top of the butt. It had legs and feet. And it flashed across my car as I was driving. I was probably driving about 35 miles an hour. There was no top half to this little creature or spirit or whatever it was. It literally like ran across the road. A huge thanks again to those callers. And I bet I'm even missing a few. The fact here is, this sort of phenomena has been reported to us quite often over the years. Which is enough to make one wonder. But you know, hearing it here on one humble podcast is one thing. What about the outside world? Has it been reported there, one might wonder? Well, I did manage to find this first-hand account on the paranormal subreddit. That suggests that it does. My husband and I both saw disembodied legs running directly in front of the headlights of an approaching car. They were running very fast. They looked to be only dark shadow, but blocked out the light like a solid form. This is a long story short, but neither one of us can explain what happened there. 
so it's been reported anonymously on the web. Is that enough to convince you? Because anyone can post anything on the internet. But how would you feel if a seasoned paranormal television host saw and reported the exact same thing? How far would that move your needle? Yvette Fielding from the early 2000s British ghost hunting show, Most Haunted, claimed to have done just that. And here she is discussing the encounter on Metro just last week. The first time I'd actually seen what I thought, I wasn't on my own, there were three of us, a ghost. What, you actually saw something? It, it wasn't a full, get this, it yeah. was a pair of legs. No. <laughs> it was just a pair of legs. The three of us were walking down a corridor and we all, it's on the show, and um, we all stop because coming up the main staircase are a pair of legs with over-the-knee leather boots, I call them Dick Turpin boots, right. walking almost in slow motion up the stairs. And all three of us saw it exactly the same time, turned and, and just ran. Now, I loved this show back in the day, but re-watching it today, I'm a bit more skeptical. But it's still great entertainment. And visually, they really amped up the creep factor. They really knew what they were doing. But outside the walk down memory lane, I didn't really find anything else of note. No other high-profile sightings of the lower half of an entity. Except, like Brandon's possible Bigfoot encounter early on in the show, this one too has a video that seems to show exactly what was described by the witness. And this particular video was taken in Colombia and focuses on a pet bunny and a little kid standing alongside a building. In the background, you can clearly see a pair of brightly lit legs stumbling down a darkened corridor. Almost exactly like what each of our witnesses claimed. I encourage you to go over to the show notes and take a look for yourself. I'll also try to get Sarah to put these videos up there on social media. If only this were a television program. Well, I don't really know what to make of this. It's very Fresno Nightcrawler-esque. And I'll pin my ear to the Wisdom Post and let you know if I receive any similar submissions. Until then, that's all I have on these phantom pants. And a big thanks to Amy for the opportunity to dig this far. And an even bigger thanks to you, listener, for tagging along on this journey. I'll meet you back here next week. Same time, same place, if you're so brave. But until then, Monsters Among Us podcast is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Powers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please follow us on social media. While you're at it, leave us a rate and review wherever possible. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. You can catch the show every Saturday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on the UnX Digital Network. Just visit unxnetwork.com to listen. And finally, folks, tonight's score was provided by Co.ag Music, Armchair Ambiance, and Carl Casey and White Bat Audio. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. A big thanks to all of tonight's callers. I'll catch you all back here next week. Until then, however, remember, the nighttime is the right time. And for God's sake, keep it spooky. Have a good night. secret entry takes us to Northern California. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. This is Kimberly, and I'm calling from Tuolumne County in California. Actually, I live in the same woods that the Sierra Sounds were first recorded, and I've seen and heard some really creepy things. But this isn't about Sasquatch. This is about the UFOs that we saw right when the Perseids meteor shower started this year. So this happened the first day of the Perseids, 2023. And my boyfriend and I were in a truck just watching the sunset and everything. And the first thing that we saw was a very bright light. And I told him, that's not Venus. (laughs) That's something different. And then all of a sudden, this very bright light at about 7 o'clock jumped all the way to the ground. And about 30 seconds later, it jumped back to where it was and disappeared. We're like, okay, well, that's really weird. (laughs) And he looked at me and said, you know, I think that's my first UFO sighting. I'm like, you know, I've seen some really weird things in this sky in particular because there is a black site that's located between us and Area 51. Anyway, regardless cool. Didn't think much of it, just, wow, that was weird. So about 1 a.m., we're finally starting to see the meteor shower. But then we look up in the sky, and there's a huge purple rectangle that's hollow. So it's the shape of a rectangle, and it's purple, and it's massive. It is the biggest thing I've ever seen in the sky. And when you're looking up at the sky, this thing took up my whole view, and it was big, neon purple. And then all of a sudden, it transforms into two triangles. You know, it folds in on itself, and then it dissipates into the mist. I've never seen anything like that before. I Googled it, and I can't find anything like it before. And that happened. Like, he saw it, I saw it, so we're not crazy. (laughs) But that's something that we saw over Tuolumne County right when the Perseids started this year, 2023. Again, this is Kimberly. That's my tale. Love what you do with the show. Have a great day. Thank you, Kimberly. Now, folks, I'll be honest. And I'll say that I'm jealous of most UFO witnesses. Keyword being most. But I think I might be most jealous of Kimberly. Because her encounter with whatever that was sounds downright amazing. 
I can only think of two possible sources for an object that gnarly. A bona fide UFO, with origins ranging from our military to the cosmos. Either that, or someone in the area was shooting an 80s music video. I kid, but that's wild stuff, Kimberly. Thank you for calling it in to the show. Now, if you don't mind, it's time for me to go beyond. I humbly invite you to join me for free. Just go to patreon.com and search for the show. Blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. And to do so for free, take advantage of the free seven-day trial. That way you can listen to last week's episode with special guest Delaney Bowers, MAU's very own researcher. We talked about ABC's Kentucky Killers, Tornado Miracles, and a whole lot more. Go check it out. I dare you. Besides, if you do, you get to hear calls like this one from Elizabeth in Missouri. Hi, Derek. This is Elizabeth from Casey Moe. I was just listening to the Thanksgiving special from season 14, and there was a guy talking about booms that he was hearing from in the ground, and it reminded me. I went to school in a, I'd say tiny town, but it's a population of about 20,000, in middle Missouri, called Rolla, Missouri. And I lived in this set of apartments right off of campus. When I say right off of campus, I literally mean you walk across the street and you're on campus. And I experienced weird, unexplained booms. He described them as like just hearing the bass. That wasn't quite what I heard. What I heard was more like I would usually be dead asleep when it happened. And it woke me up and scared the crap out of me. And I I thought that someone had run their car into our building. And I looked around. There was nothing, no issues. The civil engineering wing had not been built yet. So it wasn't them doing tests. I just forgot about it. Couldn't remember. And I thought, well, maybe I'm crazy. But then it happened a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. And like... I wasn't always dead asleep, just the first few times. The last two times I was wide awake sitting in bed with my partner and it just sounded and felt like a car ran into the building. And I don't know how else to describe it because like everything shook and all the stuff on the shelves rattled and you'd look outside quickly and there'd be nothing, there'd be no issue. I don't know. I just thought that was weird. That you might find that interesting. It's probably nothing. Thank you for listening. I love your show. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, per usual, I don't have any definitive answers for you. But what I can offer you is a pair of rebuttals. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.